0: Section 5 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by April 6090. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 5. A Leaf from the Notebook of an Old Bachelor by C. F. Hoffman Forty-nine? Yes, I was forty-nine yesterday. In my fiftieth year? Heavens, how time passes. I met young George W. at C.'s dinner yesterday, and for the life of me I couldn't conceive that that tall young dandy was my Araminta's son, Had I had the training of the boy He should never have worn those hideous mustachios. The young rascal looked at me as if he knew I had once aspired to be his father. Zounds! I could have kicked the puppy. But then he had his mother's eyes, and they were all to love and me. Poor Araminta, She is not happy, doesn't look it. That eye that reads the ground. Pshaw! What is it to me? What she reads It isn't my fault that she has a brute for a husband. I was talking about him last night with Laura K, and we both agreed it was a most ill assorted marriage. Laura ought to know the man's disposition too, since she was so long engaged to him. I wonder if her flirtation with Ned Effingham was not the cause of that match being broken off. She's a good girl, Laura K. I've thought so this thirty years. Somehow or other, though I'm afraid matters will never come to anything between us. I shouldn't know where to spend my evenings if she were married. And as some fool has said before me, what a bore our club is. I really can't stand it for more than two nights in a week. The only thing that takes me there is to see Poins Gray Bait, Fitzflumery. I used to think that something might be made of Fitz, but what can you expect of a man who eats peanuts and spells music with a K? Begavin was there, solemn and pompous as ever, and little Fitz, booing to him as usual. That man always recalls the sentence of Rochefoucauld that I used to parse in my French exercises when a schoolboy. Gravity is but a mystery of the body to conceal the defects of the mind. He is always associated in my mind with a bulky and stupid edition of Wanastrate's grammar. We talked French affairs and the new restaurant in Park Place. Flummery thought that there was some deep political design beneath the French courses, which are so gradually ousting steaks and chops from the tables of dinners out. And Augustus simply held up his hands in holy horror when the word war was mentioned Scourge of nations, croaked Bhagavan. Bane of arts and industry, will the sacred influence of religion never, etc., etc. What an age of cant we do live in. Hear what a man of sense, who wrote two generations since, says on this subject. No complaints are more frequent than against the weather when it suits not our purpose. A dismal session. We shall all be drowned. Or we shall be burnt up, and yet we never think that there might be more occasion to complain were the weather left to our own direction. The weather is not the only instance of distrust in Providence. It is a common topic to declaim against war. Manifold indeed are the blessings of peace, but doth war never produce any good? A fair comparison may possibly make it doubtful whether war, like the weather, ought not to be resigned to the conduct of providence. Seldom are we in the right when we repine at its dispensation. There's a deal of good sense in this simple proposition. ay, and of sound religion too. For however we may speculate upon the interference of heaven in our free agency, among the more trifling concerns of life, the daily routine of individual existence, who can doubt but that he who sends the sunshine and the storm, and holds the nations in the hollow of his hand, loses them only at his pleasure against each other, and sends blessing abroad as well in the firebrand and the thunderbolt, as in the dew and the sunbeam. There are some virtues which, like the nutritious plants, that subsisted, Ross and his companions in their ice-ribbed bower, will spring only beneath an iron blast. There are vices, too, which, like the poisonous vegetation of a southern swamp, flourish only in sultry repose. Commercial enterprise exerts such a tremendous effect, both salutary and pernicious, in our age and country, that its influences have been greater, here in a few years of peace and prosperity, than centuries of political tranquility have made them in other countries our strides in improvement and in degeneracy have been alike gigantic our people in the aggregate are becoming daily more distinguished for boldness and energy in executing schemes that tend to the aggrandization of communities but i think that the thousand is ever attendant upon the inordinate thirst of gain are not less apparent the doctrines of utilitarianism so much in vogue tend always at last to a sordid centering in self. The cui buono, when applied so immediately to learning, to politics, and to the domestic relations of life, must inevitably rob virtue of its vitality, and cause everything like elevation of character to exhale from the land. I daily see motives of action avowed in the newspapers— and in society that would have damned a man both politically and privately twenty years ago. The assumption of disinterestedness is to be sure the mere homage which worldliness pays to honor, but when the offering is no longer made, it is pretty strong evidence that the altar has ceased to be in repute. I like the Frenchman and would hate to quarrel with him, but we certainly do want a war. If it is only to make people talk about francs instead of dollars. I see a new work from Cooper is announced. I like Cooper. His faults are grievous, but I like him. There's a good deal of brawny talent about Cooper. Subject him to comparative criticism and, as a standard, he is not to be named with Irving, Channing, or Verplunk, but examine his writings analytically, and he stands well by himself. His defects I regard only as I do the scales of a shellbark hickory. The excrescences afford a ready foothold for cats and critics, but they do not mar the vigorous proportions of the stalwart trunk. I have passed a delightful hour in Inman's studio to-day. Artists appear to me to be the only men that have anything peculiar about them, and I like them on that account. The nature of their pursuits guards them, From the coarser attrition of the world, which sooner or later makes all men duplicates of each other, and their intercourse with the best educated portions of society just polishes them enough to leave some character of their own. What a fervor of spirit there is in I's pictures! His figures appear to me sometimes out of drawing, but his heads certainly have an eloquence of coloring which I see in no other painter. There is life breathing breezy life in the quivering forests of coal, and there is heaven to me in the delicious skies of wire. But I have seen some women's faces by inmen, in which life and heaven, in which the bliss of, of other worlds, and the tenderness of this, in which the muscle and blood and fibre of God's creatures, with all the intellect he has ever breathed into them, were blended with the Promethean power. This is the poetry of the art and the actual portraits that are embodied with it have a far greater charm in my eyes than the regularly featured ideals of the painter's imagination the most enchanting features that i ever looked upon were those of a saint somebody painted by the by from a naughty nun that i saw once in mexico the picture carried me back at once to the florentine gallery and I stood once more an ardent boy of nineteen, before the wives and mistresses of the great Italian masters, that still survive in their adorable madonnas. It was the image of little Emma Atherton, except that it did not eternally show its teeth, like a walking advertisement to the Crocords. By the way, it always strikes me that this is a beautiful thing, a woman being immortalized by her lover. How much more we like those who have come down to us in painting and in song than those who have taken the reins of fame's chariot in their own hands, and, like that false-hearted vixen, the English Elizabeth, who swore like a coachman, thrashed down to posterity like a bowery trotter on the Third Avenue. Women should appear to be wooed even by fame. The ancients, to be sure, personified her as a sister female, But then she was always a girl of bad report, and those of her sex who would wear her favors should employ a go-between to make the advances. Tuesday, what a vile capricious climate ours is here along the seaboard. Yesterday was just one of those days when women never take their hair out of paper, but shawling over the loose array of their neglected toilet, sit stewing over the last new novel wherever they may happen to settle down after breakfast i did not go into the parlor for i hate to sloven and three out of the five pretty women at our boarding house might read jeremy taylor's marriage ring to advantage how beautifully does the old fellow allude to that delicate consideration for each other's tastes and feelings which must after all constitute the soul of happiness in married life and the want of which in the springtime of affection must wither its buds even as they are blowing into life everything can blast an infant blossom and the breath of the south can shake the little rings of the vine when first they begin to curl like the locks of a new weaned boy but when by age and consolidation they stiffen into the hardness of a stem and have by the warm embraces of the sun and the kisses of heaven brought forth their clusters. They can endure the storms of the north, and the loud noises of the tempest, and yet never be broken. So, says the old-fashioned preacher, are the early unions of an unfixed marriage. So Lady Morgans come out with a new work. Why don't that woman stop writing? There's talent in her works, but then the jargon in which they are written makes me sick. She crames in the words against the stomach of my sense, and I always have to take a page or two of Cobbett's wholesome English to restore its tone. Cobbett. You read Cobbett? The Renegade? The, the, yes, yes, I I know it. I know it all, and yet I read Cobbett. I read him for his real hard-horse sense. I delight in that down, right, go-ahead style of his, which grapples with the subject like an English bulldog and whether it be great or little a yearling heifer or a full-grown buffalo flings it down before you so that you can put your foot upon it sheer sense urged with masculine force and an inextinguishable spirit give an influence to that man's writings which even his rascally character can hardly impair i would insure them for a low premium on their voyage to posterity for talent, like the Egyptian embalmers of old, preserves the bad as well as the good, the reptile as well as the man from destruction. I saw C last night at Mrs. how much that man has altered since we were schoolboys together. He has taken up politics as a trade, which I consider as bad as selling one's self to the devil, a thing which I thought had gone out entirely, till I witnessed the arch necromancy of m adrian politics though an excellent mistress makes but a poor wife to flirt with them lends a zest to existence but to be wedded to them dries up the best springs of life for ambition swallowing up all other passions and affections devours like saturn each kindly offspring of the heart in order to sit alone upon a barren throne c has proved a perfect ordling but my estimate of his abilities is as high as ever. I do not think, indeed, that I have ever been mistaken in the minds of my intimates, though I have certainly made some queer blunders in gauging their hearts. Such mistakes are nothing to a man, but I cannot conceive anything more unhappy for a woman than a want of discrimination of character, informing her friendships, and fixing her partialities. Life has, comparatively, so few resources for her that when she misplaces her affections the error is often irretrievable she is being of sympathy her feelings go forth in the morning of life like the sunbeam in the that sought all day some object to reflect back its warmth and found it only in the freezing wave that broke even as it mocked its image at the evening's close some one turned this idea prettily in the game of Crambo, at Mrs. the other evening. I suspect it was Clara F., from the fact of S., a few moments before, having pronounced her the most unsentimental woman in the world. Ay, thus tis, I would have them think, the world of which I ne'er knew one. That was not cold as waves, that drink, and smile to cheat the wooing sun. For have friendships falseness proved, Have loved as woman's loved before, Have loved as she who once hath loved, Can love again on earth no more. It matters not how friends deceived. It matters not how love went wrong. I only feel that I believed, I only know I hoped too long. What's let to me, that mid the crowd, There may be some unlike the rest, That at the shrine to which I bowed, others may kneel nor kneel unblessed though many a heart hope see upon freighted like mine may reach the shore its in cheering track is lost to one that knows nor sail nor compass more ruth latimer went as missus and entertained me with a philosophical disquisition upon ladylike young men she assimilated the quadrille in which she was dancing to a cotton factory because there were so many spindles running. Ruth's a clever woman, but I never heard of a girl who joked herself into a husband. And yet I like humor in a woman, especially when it softens beauty like that of Kate. Hesketh. Humor is more akin to feeling than wit is. Punning like mimicry. I take to be merely a low order of the last. The possession of humor, I think, always implies a delicacy of perception, which is generally accompanied by sensibility. Coleridge must have been of this opinion when he said that men of humor are always in some degree men of genius. Wits are always so. Although a man of genius may, amongst other gifts, possess wit, so did Shakespeare. And dost thou think of me sometimes beautiful? Inez, do thy young thoughts steal away to him, whose mind never wanders from thee? Doth the crowd of gay worshippers that kneel to thy charms still leave room for my shadow to hover noticed near? And thou wishest, too, my own one, that my letters should not alone record each incident that passes while I'm away, but that they should bear the impress of each thought and feeling of the soul that still turns to thee, where my footsteps lead. Thou wouldst that? Certainly our souls must transmigrate, and that too while vitality still lives in all the functions of our grosser system. How otherwise can we thus lose our moral identity? The faded characters of this letter I know to be mine. The twenty years that have elapsed since it was written have left the mechanical imprint of my fingers the same. But I, myself, I am not the one that thought and felt as they would have me believe. Gone, gone, forever gone, gone like the leaf in the stream that can never return, gone like the star that went out in the sky when none were watching, gone like the light that escaped from the limbs of Melager when his mother consumed the mystic brand upon which his existence depended. Wednesday. I spent yesterday in arranging some old letters, and had an awful attack of the blue devils in consequence. I never was one of those who could understand what the sentimental writers call enjoying a pleasing melancholy. I should as soon think of enjoying a fit of the gout, and as for reviving old associations, disinterring the buried memories from the tomb of my soul, as for taking pleasure in that, why I would just as soon seek satisfaction in a catacomb of the departed friends of my youth, I would rather—yes, I would—sit cheek by jowl with the dead, the inanimate dead, than make companions of thoughts which, viper-like, quicken into annoying existence the moment they are quarried from the flint where they have lain harmlessly torpid. Pshaw! I'm getting Vibronic. Comes of eating cheese and drinking sherry that has not been properly decanted. I must go see Power. Sunday. I heard Mr. Preach this morning. There's a great deal of the divine afflatus about that man. He always addresses himself to both my natures. The elements of his discourse are gathered from the most familiar stories of this workday world, homely but strong and rudely fashioned in themselves, but a positively placed together, like a pyre of faggots upon a holy altar of old, They seem kindled at last by fire, from heaven itself. The ponderous war-club, with which the preacher, at one moment, beats down the ranks of infidelity, is transformed the next into the torch which marshals the faithful to victory. It has often occurred to me that the clergymen of our country mingle too little with the world to give full efficiency to their office. They are too often like soldiers, well-skilled in the use of their weapons, but ignorant of the enemy they are to fight against. Ten years of active life in Wall Street or the court of sessions would, I think, form the best introductory school for the pulpit. Men whose minds are so rarely kindled by the collision or shaped by the attrition of society must labor under an immense disadvantage in their efforts to awaken electric feeling in others or to adapt the workings of their intellect to the caliber of those around them. If truth only comes from heaven, there is no need in preaching. But if the preacher be the instrument of heaven, the agent must in some degree be fashioned according to the material upon which it has to operate. I took this ground in an argument with Mrs. the other night, and I cannot but think that I was right, unhappily, however, for the progress of society. There are those who read the only book of true knowledge so strangely that they seem to learn thence that the essence of religion consists in withdrawing ourselves from all communion with our fellows, while in fact the spirit of Christianity is at war with all monkish seclusion, and acknowledge only those virtues to be such which flourish in the breath of a blighting world, which lead us abroad to mingle with our fellows to test our truth and charity by temptation and sympathy, to take human nature as we find it, and better it where we may, to sit down with publicans and Pharisees at the board, to be all things to all men, the first receivers of the world, had they banded together and buried themselves in a monastery, would have been about as true to their trust as are some of our modern pious who shrink so sensitively from a contact with the follies of the world christianity is emphatically the religion of society but there is no disposition of man in the highest social state to which he is capable of attaining that is not cared for in its provisions but how can those provisions ever elevate and improve the condition of mankind at large if they who are earliest embraced in them go out from the rest as a separate people and let the blessings meant for all perish with a few it may indeed be dangerous thus to expose the flock to the perils which perhaps the shepherd alone sought to encounter but what would we think of a missionary who wrapped his converts out of sight the moment they were made instead of leaving them to add to their numbers from their heathen brethren around them I regard every clergyman as a missionary. You cannot argue with a woman. Her opinions are half the time merely prejudices, and while she mistakes dogmatizing for discussion, you can hardly expect a fair interchange of sentiment upon any abstract subject. If you corner her in an argument, she throws herself upon the prerogative of her sex. And, if in the concourse of your reasoning you do flash conviction upon her, She deprives you of the satisfaction of a full demonstration by jumping at once to your conclusion, like a spirited but ill-trained pointer. She first hunts wide, in spite of all your efforts, to keep her to the game, and then flushes your bird before you can get your finger on the trigger. The mind may draw its strength from solitude, but it derives its suppleness from society, and adaptability with slender acquirements better fits one for shining in company than the profoundest intellectual resources without it but though versatility be so attractive a quality how rarely do we meet with those who either have possessed it naturally or cultivated it with success to give the body a just development of its proportions each separate muscle must be duly exercised and every faculty of the mind should receive its proper share of cultivation to perfect the understanding but our minds lies our bodies are generally exercised at random and the improvement of some of their powers too often purchased with the neglect and consequent enfeeblement of others while not one in a million can boast that union of strength and elasticity that has been so whimsically assimilated to the trunk of an elephant which in the words of peter pindar can pick up pins and yet possess the vigor for trimming well the jacket of a tiger most ordinary people can talk well upon some one subject but how few are there who can happily discuss a dozen or even maintain their ground in an excursive conversation with sufficient ability to act as the drawer out of others conversationalist in fact seems the rarest of talents when we recollect how few are noted for its possession and that even they who enjoy the reputation of talking well more frequently harangue instead of conversing pouring out their own thoughts with eloquence but never mingling the stream with another's it is one thing to delight a whole table and another to fix the favour of each one present at it by eliciting their powers of entertainment some species of mental pain is like steam and care though when unconfined it dissipates in air and when shut up too closely it shatters the mind that would so repress it yet properly managed it may in strong understandings conduce to their moral energies at least i have no doubt that some of the happiest productions of genius owe their brilliancy if not their birth to the intensity of mind that authors have brought to one subject in the strenuous effort to distract their thoughts from another tuesday love is a bad tenant for one's bosom for when compelled to quit he always leaves the mansion more or less out of repair i saw flora f at mrs swarry last night and was amazed to hear a girl of her sense sport the opinions she did a baffled attachment certainly spoils a woman in most cases, though it as certainly mellows their disposition delightfully in others. It depends entirely whether, when discomfited, she makes society or religion her point de pay; these being the only resources and monuments to which she may retreat and be upholden. Love with women is like the celebrated Greek fire, which is impossible to detach from the object upon which it is fastened, without the excision of an integral part. The best half of that girl's heart must be gone, or she never would have sung that song with so little emotion. It was one that poor F. wrote for her a few months before he died, and which, telling his story so faithfully years ago, portrayed her own situation so singularly at present. C says that the imitation of the Waller and Sedley school is servile, But in spite of its old English conceits, I certainly think there is a dash of true feeling in the following song. I will love her no more. Tis a waste of the heart. This lavish of feeling, a prodigal's part. Who, heedless this treasure, a life could not earn, squanders forth where he vainly may look for a return. I will love her no more. It is folly to give our best years to one when for many we live and he who the world will thus barter for one i ween by such traffic but soon must be undone i will love her no more it is heathenish thus to kneel to an idol which bends not to us which heeds not which wrecks not which cares not for aught that the worship of years to its altar hath bought i will love her no more for no love is without its limit in measure, and mine hath run out. She engrosseth it all, until some she restore. Then this moment I love her. How can I love her more? End of section five.